Hello listeners, we've got another Lux Radio Theatre bonus episode for you. This time we are presenting the radio adaptation of Mrs. Miniver. Enjoy! Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theatre brings you Greer Garson, Walter Pidgeon and Susan Peters in Mrs. Miniver with Ensign Henry Wilcoxon. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. When everyone in Hollywood agrees on anything, that's news. And you can't get an argument out of anyone in our town when you say that Mrs. Miniver was one of the great pictures of film history. Like a beacon in the night, it brought guidance and inspiration when we needed it most. That's as fine a service as any motion picture can render. And Hollywood recognized that service by making Mrs. Miniver an overwhelming choice for the last Academy Award. We're no longer the underdogs of this war. But Mrs. Miniver belongs to any time, and to all times. Tonight, we present it with the same two stars who gave such magnificent performances in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer picture, Greer Garson and Walter Pigeon. And with them, we have Susan Peters, brilliant young dramatic star, and Ensign Henry Wilcoxon of the United States Coast Guard. We all know that Greer Garson won the Academy Award for her performance as Mrs. Miniver, but that performance and all the others never seemed like acting to me. Only fine artists can lift a drama to so high a plane. And very soon, we'll have a chance to see Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon together again in their new Metro-Golden-Mayer picture, which some critics have already nominated for this year's Academy Award, Madame Curie. We borrowed Susan Peters from the same studio where she's just finished Song of Russia. One thing more that Hollywood agrees about is that tonight's team of stars is one of the happiest combinations we've ever had. For nine years now... Stars like these have helped to make the Lux Radio Theater a national theater. And Lux Flakes has made it possible for us to present them in the big dramatic hits of Broadway and Hollywood. You don't have to buy anything to get a seat in this theater because there's no one collecting tickets in your living room. But the chances are you buy our product anyway once you've tried it. That's all we ask. Lux Flakes doesn't need a salesman. It just needs a few minutes to show what it can do. So right now... We can raise the curtain on the first act. Starring Greer Garson as Mrs. Miniver, Walter Pigeon as Clem, and Susan Peters as Carol, with Ensign Henry Wilcoxon as the vicar. In the summer of 1939, the world stood trembling on the threshold of another war. Guns bristled on the borders between nations, and in the capitals of the continent, the mighty armor of conflict paraded in a rumbling show. From Berlin, the hysterical screams of a mad fanatic set the tone and tempo of the times. In that summer of 1939, England listened to the distant thunder, nodded thoughtfully, and went about the simple business of living. We all knew there was going to be a war, of course. A dozen times a day we'd tell each other so. Oh, yes, no doubt of it at all. Feeling a bit pleased with ourselves that we could face it so calmly. And yet underneath, there was just as strong a conviction, half hope and half fear, that it could never happen. And so we went our careless way, bringing up our children, tending our gardens, making shopping trips to the city to buy hats that were much too expensive. <laughs> I never should have bought that hat. I knew it on the train going back to Belen. But of course, it was too late then. I had it with me in a little box. A ridiculously little box. Belen, sir? Yes, sir. This is for Belen. Good evening, Mrs. Miniver. Why, Vicar, how nice. For me it is. Uh, May I sit here, Mrs. Miniver? Of course. Shopping? Here, let me put those packages on the rack for you. Oh, thank you, Vicar. Oh, oh, no, no, not the little one, please. I might leave it behind as it's rather precious. Yes, I know the feeling. Do you? See this package of mine? Guess what it is. Port. Oh, worse than that. Cigars. 
Well, why not? My husband does. Yes, but he can afford it. Oh, dear, I'm not so sure, Vicar. He has a very extravagant wife. <laughs> oh, nonsense. No, it's quite true. I can't help it. I'm afraid I do like nice things. Things far beyond my means sometimes. Oh, pretty clothes and good schools for the children. The car, the garden. Oh, you know. Yes, I know. Does it give you a lovely, guilty feeling? Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Fellow sinners, Mrs. Miniver. Oh. What will the village say? Oh, I think the village knows you're a very understanding person. That's why you do so much good. Well, I hope I do. I hope I can when they need me. What do you mean? You think there's trouble coming? I think... I think it's here. Uh, good evening, Lady Belden. Good evening, Vicar. Good evening. Oh, good evening. Oh, shopping's absolutely impossible nowadays. You can't get near the counter, and when you do, they haven't got it, and you pay twice the price for it. <laughs> what a wonderful description. My dear man, I've spent the whole afternoon being pushed around by middle-class females, buying things they can't possibly afford. Oh, dear, that means me. Oh, no, no, much worse. Uh, you're Mrs. Mannering, aren't you? Miniver. Oh, yes, yes, of course, the lawyer's wife. Uh, no, my husband's an architect, Lady Belden. Well, I knew he was something of that sort. I don't know what the country's coming to. Everyone trying to be better than their betters? Mink coats and no manners? No wonder Germany's arming. Lady Belden talked all the way from London to Bellum Station. Bellum. It always gave me a little thrill of happiness to come home to Bellum. It was no different from a hundred other English villages, but to me, the air was cleaner and the flowers brighter in Bellum than anywhere on earth. The flower beds around the little station were the personal pride of the station master, Mr. Bellum. Tickets, please. Oh, good evening, Mrs. Miniver. Oh, good evening, Mr. Bellum. Here's my ticket. Thank you. I was looking for you on the five o'clock. I missed it by two minutes. Isn't it shameful? Well, time and tide waits for no man. And trains neither. Are you too late, Mum, to spare me a moment? I've got something to show you. Well, I... I it's really, something uh... very special. Why, of course, Mr. Bernard. Do show me. It's in my office. Go right in, Mrs. Miniver. Thank you. Well, Mum, there it is. What? I'm afraid I... The rose, Mum. The rose in the vase there. Oh. Oh, Mr. Ballard. It's my masterpiece. How lovely. You like it, ma'am? I think it's... It's the most beautiful rose I've ever seen. The shape... And the scent. Mmm. Divine. And the color. I adore red roses. To said as Cupid danced among the gods, he down the nectar flung, which on the white rose being shed, made it forever after red. Wherever did you find that? <laughs> At a seed catalogue, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty, but it ain't true. What goes to make a rose, ma'am, is breeding and budding and fertilizer. And that's where you come in, ma'am. I? <laughs> oh, I've got to have a name for it. Oh, you want me to name it for you? No, ma'am. I've got a name for it. If you'll give me your permission. Why, of course, but I, I don't quite see what I, the... I want to call it the Mrs. Miniver. Oh. If you'll pardon me, Mum. I've watched you go in and out of town for years now. And you've always had time to stop and have a word with me. And I've always waited for you to come home and... And you remind me of the flower. I, I think it would be a very good name for my rose. It's a lovely compliment, Mr. Ballard. I'd be very happy indeed to have you name your rose after me. It was the usual before dinner time at home. Judy in the study, practicing her scales. Toby upstairs in the nursery, giving Napoleon his milk. Napoleon was his kitten. When I heard Clem's car drive up, I was in my room trying on the new hat. But I decided not to tell him about it yet. I'd wait until after dinner. Clem was always more docile after he'd had his coffee. Good evening, Gladys. Mrs. Miniver at home? Uh, yes, they're in their room. Why, Mr. Miniver, is that a new car in the drive? <clears throat> uh, uh, yes, Gladys, it is. I just bought it today. Oh, it's a beautiful car. Sir. Oh, uh, uh, Gladys, I uh, 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 don't mention it to Mrs. Miniver just yet, will you? I'll break it to her myself. Uh, tell her, I mean. Yes, sir. It's beautiful, sir. Hello, Daddy. 
Hello, Judy. You're just in time to hear me play my piece, Daddy. Uh, um, a, a little later, dear. Uh, I want to see your mother. Look out! Look out, Daddy! Open the door quickly! Hello, Toby. What's the hurry? I can't stop now, Daddy. Napoleon wants to throw up. Ooh, does he? Excuse me. Pam. Pam, is that you? Evening, dear. Oh, I thought I heard the car drive up. Hello, darling. Hello. How are you? Lovely. What's the matter? Matter? Why, you're looking at me. Anything wrong with that? Uh, no. <laughs> Did you uh, have a nice time in town today? Oh, wonderful. I shopped and shopped. Just little things, you uh -huh, know. Uh -huh. I, um, uh, I had a, a puncture in the car today. Did you? Oh, what a shame. Yeah, those tires are getting pretty worn on that old bus. Slim, do you know what I think? Uh, what? I think you ought to buy yourself a new tire one of these days. Um, uh, a new tire... Yes, it, it, it might not be a bad idea at that. Uh, uh, darling. You stay there, Napoleon. Come along, Toby. It's almost dinner time. Everything all right, Toby? It's all right now. But he had to. Did you hear my piece, Daddy? Oh, yes, Judy. It was lovely. Mother, is Brother Ben coming home tomorrow? Yes, he is, Judy. Well, may I go to the station to meet him? Well, of course, darling, if you're good. Now, Cook has your dinner Mother, ready, so... Mother, is Ben still a veg... A vegetarian? Well, I doubt it, darling. He'll have some new idea. Oh, that was just a phase he was going through. What's a phase? Oh, it's just a thing people go through. Do I go through it, Mother? Oh, yes, you're going through one right now. Am I? Mm-hmm. I'm going through a phase. I'm going through a phase. Toby, stop jumping about going to your dinner. What phase will Vin be going through this time, Mother? Well, I'm not sure, dear, but boys at Oxford go through any number of them. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, dinner. Off with you, both of you. Coffee, Clem? Uh, just another drop. Thank you, dear. Uh, you Clem, know, Kay, I, I wanted to tell you... Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, dear. No, no, no. It wasn't anything. What were you going to say, dear? Oh, oh nothing important. I just... Uh, uh, about that new tire. Oh, oh. Well, well, they aren't so frightfully expensive, are they? Mm, no, I guess we could swing it all right. Uh, but you see... I mean, uh, a, a new tire shouldn't cost any more than a new hat, should it? Uh, a hat? Well, I just said hat. I might have said shoes or trousers or anything. Uh, uh, um, smoke coffee, dear? Uh, no, I, I have some, thank you, darling. Uh, yes, that old bus, it's, it, it's pretty sad. Uh, it, it's been giving a lot of trouble lately. Hasn't it? I hadn't noticed it. No, of course you hadn't. That's the danger with an old car. You don't notice anything wrong, and then one day when you're doing about 70 miles an hour... It's Not just... with our car, dear. No, and that's another thing. It's too slow. That car is dangerously slow. Clem, what have you been up to? <laughs> well, come on, get your coat and hat on. I've got something to show you. <laughs> The hat problem was simplified after that. Just at bedtime, I took it out of the box and tried it on. Clem was sitting up in bed, talking about the new car. I'm glad you like the new car, dear. I was afraid you'd think I'd been a bit too extravagant. Oh, all of us have to be extravagant now and then, don't you think? Yeah, of course. It's fun. What's the use of having a little money if once in a while you can't be reckless with it? Uh, don't forget to turn out the light, dear. Wait, Clem. Uh, Look. Well, what on earth is that you've got on? A hat, darling. Don't you like it? Uh, new? Mm-hmm. I bought it today. Isn't it lovely? Uh, not bad. I do think it, it uh, does something for me, don't you? Yeah, it, it uh, makes you look rather ridiculous, I think. Uh, oh, Clem. Well, uh... uh Maybe it's uh, it's it's a nightgown. It, it it doesn't quite go with it. Well, no, but just uh, just look at the hat itself. And of course, when I get my hair done, it'll look different. Yeah, uh, that'll make a difference, all right. Yes, it, yes, it, it's very pretty. Good. Then I think it was worth the money. Oh, uh, much? Not too much for people with a car like ours. <laughs> oh, you're pretty clever, aren't you? I hope you think so, darling. Hey, sit down here a minute. Let me look at you. You're really quite a beautiful woman, aren't you? If you think so, darling. I think you're even more beautiful than when I married you. Could that be? I don't see why not. I have more reason to be. Huh. Well, put that silly thing away and get into bed. Don't stand looking at it all night. Oh, Clem. It's been a lovely day all round, hasn't it? Yeah. Clem, I think we're very lucky people. Because we've got a new car and a new hat. Oh, much more than that. 
Because of Vin and Toby and Judy. And each other. Uh-huh. Good night. Good night, dear. Oh, Glenn. Huh? Guess what? What? I had a rose named after me today. That's so? You left the light on in the dressing room tonight. Oh, <laughs> Vin came home the next morning. We saw him swing down from the carriage, young and lean and strong. There was something different about him. The moustache was gone, and he was smoking a pipe. There he is. There he is. Hello. Hello, Mother. Oh, Vin, darling. Hello, Vin. Hello, Toby. How, hello, Dad. How are you, old boy? Fine to have you back. Vin. <laughs> Judy, hello. Look, Vin's got a pipe. Vin's got a pipe. <laughs> what of it, young fellow? Vin's got a pipe. Oh, heavens, Vin, you've grown. Uh, only about half an inch, Mother. I've grown a yard. Have you, Toby? Say, uh, where's the mustache you used to have, son? Oh, uh, that? Yes, you used to be so proud of it. I don't remember being so very proud. Oh, I liked it, Vin. Oh, I'm sorry, Mother, but... Well, I thought it took up too much of my time. Oh, it did? Keeping it trimmed and all that sort of thing, you know. After all, one can't waste too much time over the vanities of life. I see. Then I'm going to a thing. Toby. Mother, should I walk? Well, never mind that, Nadia. But you said I was going. Well, let's move along, shall we? Come on. Come on. And furthermore, Dad, this last year at Oxford, I've rather changed my whole outlook on things. You don't say. Your tea's getting cold, then. Uh, no more, thanks. Yes, I think I've grown a little, uh, matured in my conception as to what life's about. Ah. Uh, do you know what Oxford has really taught me, Mother? What, dear? It's taught me that I know absolutely nothing about anything. Rather a waste of time and money, then, isn't it? Oh, no, not, not at all. Because, well, it's shown me clearly just what I want out of life. And apart from all that, I think I've developed a social consciousness. Uh, well, what's that, then? Why, uh... It's the recognition of my fellow man. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, where are the free men of today any more than there were in the ninth to 15th centuries? Then the lords held all the land and parceled out what they wished to their vassals. Look about you. What have we, as pure a feudalistic state as there ever was in, in the ninth to 15th centuries? I tell you, when I think about it, I'm, I'm appalled, absolutely appalled. I tell you, Father, when I think of the class system in this, that exists in this country today, I... Excuse me, sir. What is it, Gladys? It's Miss Carol Belden to see you, Mum. Oh, well, uh, show her in, Gladys. Yes. Carol Belden. Well, I wonder what that means. Hmm. She's probably brought the latest ultimatum from her illustrious grandmother. But I scarcely know Lady Belden. Look, Mother, there you have the perfect example of what I've been saying. Lady Belden is the living proof of the survival of the feudal system today. She does not... How do you do, Mrs. Miller? I'm Carol Belden. Oh, how do you do, Miss Belden? This is my husband. How do you do? And my son, Vincent. How do you oh, do? how do you do? Sit down. You're just in time for tea, Miss Belden. Oh, thanks so much, but I've just had some. Well, sit down anyway. You really must excuse me for invading your house like this, but... Well, frankly, I've come to make a request. A personal request, and as a great favor. Well, please sit down. Thank you. You see, my grandmother doesn't know I've come. Well, I... I'm afraid I'm not very good at breaking things gently, so I'll get straight to the point. It's about the rose. The rose? Yes, the one Mr. Ballard grew. The Mrs. Miniver? Oh. You see, I hear that he's going to enter it in the flower show. You mean for the Belden Challenge Cup? Yes. But I... I no one has ever entered a... I, I, I mean, uh... No. No one has ever entered a rose in competition with Grandmother before. And that's just the point. It's become a tradition for her to win the cup. And her roses mean so much to her... Oh, I, I know it seems an awful thing to ask, but... Well, I thought you might, perhaps as a favor, persuade Mr. Ballard to withdraw his rose from the competition. You see, it is such a beautiful rose, it, it might easily win, and... Miss Belden, may I ask whether this is an open competition? Well, yes, technically... Technically, it... yes, but actually, no. Yes, I, I suppose that's it. You see... I see only too well, Miss Belden, because Mr. Ballard is not of the ruling class, a mere... Vassal, as it were. Now, Vin, please, let Miss Belden explain. Miss Belden doesn't have to explain. Not to me. I'm aware of the influence of the feudal system in this village. These are orders from the manor. Her ladyship must be offered no competition. Miss Belden, you must excuse my son. He's just down from Oxford. Oh, don't apologize for me, Mother. I mean everything I say. Well, I'm glad to hear it. But do you do anything about it? 
Do? I, I don't know what you mean. Well, if you feel something is wrong, what are you doing about it? I've spent most of my holidays these last few years doing settlement work in the slums of London. You wallow in luxury all the Oh, no, year. I don't wallow. And think a few weeks playing the Lady Bountiful. Well, Vin, come, Vin. Well, it's not much, perhaps, but it is the only thing I know. What have you been doing? I, well, I've been... I go- see. Just talk. Well, that's all right. It's much easier. I th- didn't say anything about... Oh, don't about... apologize. I know how comfortable it is to curl up with a nice fat book full of big words and think you're going to solve all the problems of the universe. But you're not, you know. A bit of action is required now and then. Action? Well, if that's what you and your class are asking for, maybe you'll get it one of these days. Maybe, but not from the talkers. I am not just a talker. Then, remember, Miss Belden is a guest here. Now, if you have any manners at all... Manners are everything, aren't they? A humble working man is denied the reward of his artistry to gratify the, the overweening vanity of an Be aristocrat... quiet, Ben. This is no concern of yours. I beg to differ, Father. I'm concerned for a fellow man for his dignity and the indignity that's heaped upon him. You'll excuse me, I'm sure, Miss Belton. Certainly. Thank you. Good afternoon. I... I must apologize for Vin. Oh, no, please. It's all right. And besides, he... He's rather nice, isn't he? What? Really, you know, he's perfectly right. I've absolutely not a leg to stand on in this business. I, I shouldn't have asked you. And I realized that before the words were out of my mouth. It's... Well, it's just that my grandmother's over 80, and, and she takes such a pride in winning year after year. Oh, but, but please forget I said anything about it. Anyhow, I, I'm glad we met at last. So am I, and I hope we'll see some more of each other. I hope so, too. You'll be at the sailing club dance tonight, won't you? Yes. Oh, yes, of course. Well, good. I'll see you there, then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Belden. Oh, good evening. How are you, Holiday? Oh, how's the launch, Miniver? Running smoothly? I had her up the river yesterday. Seemed to be missing a little. Poor petrol, probably. Yeah. Nothing up to standard these days. Well, evening, Mrs. Miniver. Good evening. Clem, there's Carol Belden coming over. Doesn't she look lovely? And a sense of humor, too. I love the way she handled Vin this afternoon. Hello. Hello, Miss Belden. Oh, please do sit down. Are you enjoying it? Oh, yes. It's such a wonderful band. How about a cordial? No, thanks. You know, I was rather looking for your son. Oh, I'm sorry. Vin's not here. No, he's suffering from an acute case of maturity. He doesn't dance anymore. Yes, but it'll pass. We give it a week or two at the outside. I wanted to tell him I was very sorry about this afternoon. Oh, I rather think he wanted to say the same thing himself. It's a pity I that I beg he... your pardon. For you, Miss Belden, a note. A note? Oh, well, thank you. Will you excuse me, Mrs. Miniver? Well, of course. Certainly. Oh... <laughs> oh, will you tell him I'll be right there, please? Yes, miss. Secret? Well, I, I suppose it is. Do I scent romance? Well, it, it is intriguing. <laughs> I'll see you later, Mrs. Miniver. Is it that big Navy lad from Dartmouth? Oh, you'd be surprised. Good evening, Miss Belton. Good evening, Mr. Miniver. You got my note? I'm here, Mr. Miniver. Oh, y- yes, of course. Miss Belden, I don't want you to think I'm going back on anything I said this afternoon. Well, of course not. But I did express myself a bit emphatically. I hope you'll excuse me. My mode of expression, I mean. Well, there's really nothing to excuse. Everyone's entitled to his, his mode of expression. But still, I had no right to lose my temper. I'm usually quite detached. Oh, well, I was pretty snippy myself, wasn't I? And quite in the wrong anyway. I am sorry. Nice of you to say so. Thank you. Well, I... I suppose I'd better be getting back. I promise the next time... Oh, no, you can't. Well, I mean, just for a moment. You see, I've got so much I wanted to say to explain about myself. But, of course, if you want to dance... You don't dance? Oh, yes. Uh, Yes, I do. Matter of fact, I'm considered a pretty good dancer. But I've rather given that sort of thing up. Oh, I mean, frankly, is this the time for frivolity? Well, is this a time to lose one's sense of humor? (laughs) No, I guess not. Please, may I have a dance later on? Oh, I'd love to. Hey, isn't that Vincent dancing with Carol Belden? Yes, that's Vincent. They look quite nice together, don't they? 
From his expression, I'd say he was having another phase. Did you say give him a week or two? Well, maybe an hour or two will be enough. <laughs> that was our life in the summer of 1939. And then in early September, it was a Sunday, and we'd all gone to church. I remember how the sun slanted through the windows that morning. I remember Toby, wide-eyed, craning his neck about to stare at the choir. I remember sharing a hymn book with Vin, who couldn't keep his mind on the singing for looking across the aisle at Carol Belden. I remember so many things. Little things. Peaceful things. And then suddenly the singing faltered. Stopped. And the vicar stood before us in the pulpit and spoke to us quietly. Will everyone please be seated? It has just been announced over the air by the Prime Minister that our country is at war. In the circumstances, I don't think you'll wish me to continue with this service as you'll probably most of you have some other duties to perform. I will say simply this that the prayer for peace still lives in our hearts, coupled now with the prayer for our beloved country. We in this village have not failed in the past. Our forefathers for a thousand years have fought for the freedom that we now enjoy and that we must now defend again. With God's help and their example, we cannot and shall not fail. In just a moment, Mr. DeMille returns with Greer Garson, Walter Pidgeon, Susan Peters, and Ensign Henry Wilcoxon for Act Two of Mrs. Miniver. Sally, do you like guessing games? Of course. Well, I wonder if you could guess what article of clothing I'm talking about when I give you these washing directions. Soap them and let them soak all night. In the morning, wash them through a strong lather of white soap and warm, soft water, and then boil them ten minutes in another lather of the same. Then rinse through two cold waters. When they are dry, stretch or pin them on an ironing sheet. Smooth them on hard, uh, by hard rubbing with the end of a clean piece of flannel formed into a tight roll. Or you may rub them with a smooth stone. Goodness, I never read any directions like that. Well, it couldn't be anything colored because you must never soak colors. And it couldn't be silk because you must never boil silk or use anything but lukewarm water. And it couldn't be rayon because you treat that like silk. <laughs> I give up. That, Sally, is how Mr. Leslie's ladies' housebook back in 1850 told women to take care of their silk stockings. Oh, how awful. No wonder silk stockings were a luxury. Times have certainly changed. Now we just whisk our stockings through lukewarm Lux suds each night. They're fresh in a jiffy. And that's how girls cut down runs over 50% these days. Strain tests by a scientific laboratory proved that Lux stockings didn't go into runs nearly so easily as those rubbed with cake soap. Lux cut down runs over 50%. So Lux your stockings every night if you want to save them. And be sure to let rayons dry at least 24 to 48 hours before you wear them. If your dealer is out of Lux flakes, try again. He'll have more soon. Lux is worth waiting for. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Two of Mrs. Miniver, starring Greer Garson as Mrs. Miniver, Walter Pigeon as Clem, and Susan Peters as Carol, with Ensign Henry Wilcoxon as the vicar. There was a great deal to be done that first day. Blackout curtains to be hung, a visit from the ARP man, 101 details of food and clothing and shelter in the event of a raid. And through it all... I kept thinking of Vin. I knew he'd have to go, but I couldn't bring myself to talk of it. Then towards evening, Vin mentioned it himself. You know, I've been thinking it over. It's the RAF for me. 
The RAF? Please? Yes, I've always been keen on flying. Uh, do you mind if I get on with the blackout, Dad? All right, son. Oh, I thought I'd run up to the Belden place later on. Uh, two women alone, you know. Might be a good idea to look things over. Yes, I think you should, dear. At times like these, one ought to be neighborly. Don't you think? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed, one should. May I go with you, Mother? Yes, if you'll have you, Judy. No. Then let me go, please. I said no. Oh. Clem, isn't he very young? Even for the Air Force? Yes, he's young. That night, we went underground for the first time while the planes passed above. We'd no way of telling whether they were our planes or theirs. Mr. Foley, the village grocer, was the ARP man for the district. And during the blackout, he paid us a visit. You've got to be careful, Mrs. Miniver. One little crack of light, like you were showing, might lead the whole German Air Force straight to this house. Well, it was lucky it was just you, Mr. Foley. Yes, indeed, ma'am. Strictly speaking, you're liable to a fine of 40 shillings, but uh, as senior warden, I think I can promise you'll hear no more about it. Oh, that's awfully nice, Foley. Hmm. Got a nice place here for storage. Hear the Minister of Food on the air the other day? Recommended stocking up a bit. You ought to put in some tin food, case of emergency. Well, I, I really Sugar don't... Now, sure to go up. I've got some wonderful Demerara, two, three a pound. Uh, how much shall we say? Fifty pounds be enough? Well, really, I... Make I, it Mr. twenty, Foley, I... then. Twenty pounds, best Demerara. Do you like uh, Bismarck herrings, Mr. Miniver? I hate them. Oh. Kipper mm. uh, snacks? Salmon? Sardines? <laughs> i got some lovely Italian sardines here. Uh, might not be able to get them later. You never know what that Mussolini's going to do. Well, we'll see. <laughs> well, there you are. All clear. They were ours after all. Come on, Toby. We can go upstairs now. Is the war all over, Mummy? Oh, no, darling. This is just the first day. Dear Mother... They are cutting short the course, and Pilot Officer Miniver is happy to tell you he will be home soon on leave. A whole week. Think of it. Mother, will you have Carol for dinner the first night? Thanks, darling. Toby, don't bang the spoon down like that, please. <laughs> well, he makes a good-looking pilot, don't you think, Carol? A pilot. Already. Two months before my regular time. What a bit of luck being transferred to an airfield so near. Will you stay at Bellum Field or home? Oh, Bellum, I'm afraid. But say, a fellow I knew at the last airfield had his people living round about, and whenever he flew over, he used to cut his engine so they'd know who it was. You know, like this. We listen for it, son. I shall listen every day. Will you, Carol? Mommy! Mommy! Yes, Toby? Mommy, is Finn going to marry Carol? Toby, just finish your dumpling now, darling. Well, I only said he's been going to marry Carol. Toby. Isn't it nice having been at home, Toby, and staying down here for dinner with us? Yes. Are you going to marry Carol, then? <laughs> well, since you bring it up, Toby, I haven't had the nerve to ask her. Why not? You're brave, aren't you? Oh, don't be so silly, Toby. Gentlemen don't propose when they're eating. Why not? Well, it's not romantic. Why not? Well, it just isn't. Of course it isn't. Toby. What? Why don't you ask me if I'm going to marry Ben? Are you? If he asks me? <laughs> He's afraid. Oh, I say. I'm not going to stand for that. Carol, I meant to wait for Judy's romantic moment and all that. But will you marry me, Carol, soon? Oh, ye gods, this is the darndest proposal I... Is it yes, Carol? It's yes, Ben. Oh, Carol, I... Oh, my dear, I'm so happy. You're both terribly young, but... Fine going, Ben. Fine going. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Oh, Toby, the spoon. Uh, Toby. Yes, Gladys, what is it? It's the telephone, sir. He says he wants to speak to pilot officer Vincent Miniver. Oh, I'll take it from the hall. Hello? Uh, yes, speaking. Yes, sir, I see. Uh, about half an hour. Yes, sir. Oh, immediately, sir. Goodbye. Then, was that the airfield? Yes, I have to report at once. Oh, no, Finn. You, you mean go back? Well, it is a blow, isn't it? It certainly picked their moment. Yes, but why now? Oh, some job or other. You don't ask why. 
I'm sorry, Mother. I can't believe it, Vin. They promised you a week. Well, you know how things are. Good job I hadn't unpacked. I'll go up and get my bag. I promised to be at the airport in half an hour. And I'll get the car and drive you over, Vin. Thanks, Dad. I'll be right with you. Well, it's a disappointment. No use pretending it isn't. But now that we've got him so near... Does this mean that he's... that he's going into action? Oh, not necessarily, Carol. But, of course, uh, well, you, you never know, do you? gone such a long time, Clem. I was worried. I uh, stopped off at the club on the way back. They're talking about a German flyer who came down around here somewhere. We're going to organize a search in the morning. Vin didn't say when he might be back. No, he couldn't, you know. No, no, of course not. Bye, it's a beautiful night. Clear as day. Are you happy about the engagement, Clem? Oh, very. Sweet child, young Carol. Yes, isn't she? Uh, I wonder how the old lady's going to take it. Oh, she'll be proud. You, uh, couldn't be prejudiced, could you? Certainly not. Finn's a very unusual boy. Oh, of course. Listen, Ken. Huh. Engine trouble. No, it's Finn. Finn? Yes, don't you remember what he told us about signaling? About the boy who used to signal to his mother? That was Finn. By Jove, I believe you're right. See him? There he is. Good old Finn. Good luck. Clem, Clem, phone. Clem, wake up, dear. Oh, oh. Phone. Oh. Hello. Yes. Ben. What? Oh, emergency, I see. What is it, Clem? What is it? It's all right, dear. Is it Vin? No, no, no. It's only the river patrol. Oh. Huh. Right, old man. I'll come right over. You're not going out on the river tonight. I've got to, darling. They've called every man with a boat, he said. Well, what on earth can they want? I can't imagine. We're all to meet at Ramsgate. Attention. Attention, everyone. Switch off your motors. Switch off your motors. Nobby, cut the motor. What on earth? Well, there must be close to a thousand boats here, Nobby. Yes, sir. That's a destroyer over there, Mr. Miniver. Oh. Attention. As you know, the British Expeditionary Force is trapped between the enemy and the sea. 400,000 men are crowded on the beaches under bombardment from artillery and planes. Their only chance to escape annihilation rests with you. Your destination is Dunkirk. My duty to tell you that the effort is not without risk. They're asked to cross 40 miles of open sea, many of you in small boats that are far from seaworthy. Our shore guns and enemy aircraft are going to make it hot for you. Any of you who wish to withdraw may do so now. Very good. You'll put to sea at once. Smaller boats without compasses will endeavor to follow in the wake of larger ships at the head of the line. Every moment counts. Good luck to you. All right with you, Nobby? Aye, aye, sir. Turn them over. Hello! Hello! Hello there! See you at Dunkirk! Good morning, Mr. Bannett. You're up early. Yes, I uh, haven't been sleeping very well. None of us have, I imagine. I come down to the river every morning now to catch a fish or two for dinner. Listen. Guns. Yes. Funny how the sound carries with this east wind. Uh, Mr. Miniver's not back from Dunkirk, I suppose. No, he's not back. Neither is my son. They've been gone five days now. Well, they'll be back, Mum. You'll see. Yes, I'd be very glad to see. You will. Them that goes down to the sea in ships and has their business in the great waters. These men see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the great deep. You can't beat the Bible, can you, when it comes to deep feelings? No. No. And no one what's thrown that over for a set of gobbles and girdings 
is going to win this war. That's my comfort, Mum. That's mine too, Mr. Ballard. Oh, there's to be a flower show this year, you know, up at Belden Hall. It takes more than a war to stop our old ladyship. Oh, oh I'm, I'm so sorry. What were you saying? I, I was going to tell you about my rose, Mum. I've entered it for the show, and I... Oh, but there now. I should know better than to be bothering you. Oh, but you're not. I'm so glad it's a beautiful rose. It deserves a prize. Oh, thank you, Mum. Well, I'll be getting along. Good day, Mr. Ballard. I turned and started back to the house. As I neared the kitchen door, I saw him. He was lying half hidden in the shrubbery, his eyes staring into mine. I saw the sun glint on the barrel of a revolver. Stop like that. <gasps> oh, Whoever make noise, I shoot. Laura alone. My my children are upstairs. And the maid. All asleep. Food. Drink. Get it for me. Inside. All right. Food. Quick. Yes, yes. I'm getting it, but stop pointing that gun at me. You're frightening me. Milk. Hurry. You got meat? Yes, I... I think so. Hurry. I am hurrying. Here. Now. You stand. There. I leave. You... It's urgent. Police. This is Mrs. Miniver. I've got that German flyer, the one who escaped. In the kitchen, yes. Yes, I'm all right. I have his gun. Will you come to the back door? It's the last house on North Lane. Yes. He's wounded. Will you bring a doctor? Thank you. And please, hurry. After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille presents Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, Susan Peters, and Ensign Henry Wilcoxon in Act Three of Mrs. Miniver. Libby Collins and I are going to conduct a one-minute quiz program. We've asked three members of the audience to come up here and answer just three simple questions. All right, Mr. Sutherland. Will you step up to the microphone? And here's your question. Will it take more or less lux to wash a slip, panty, and bra together than it would to wash them separately? Less. Less is right. A thrifty way to make sure make your Lux go even further these days. Thank you, Mrs. Sutherland. And here's a big box of Lux flakes that will do those undies each night for nearly two months. Now, Mrs. Max, are you ready for your question? What type fabric, silk, rayon, cotton, or linen requires the lowest temperature in ironing? Oh, I guess it would be silk. No, I'm sorry, it's rayon. Rayons, especially acetate rayons, need a barely warm iron. Too warm an iron is apt to glaze the surface or even put a hole in such fabrics. Thank you, Mrs. Max. And here's a big box of Lux for you to use before you iron your rayon undies. Now, Mrs. Mounier, here's your question coming up. Mrs. Mounier, what type of underthings, popular in Grandmother's Day, are back in favor this winter? Well, I can't think of what it could be offhand unless... Could it be flannel? Long red flannel. They started out as ski underthings, but are mighty popular now in homes where heating is a problem this winter. Thank you, Mrs. Mounier. And here's a box of Lux Flakes to keep your nice things new-looking even longer. Materials are so important these days, and skilled workers so needed for war work, that fewer new underthings are being made. Of course, you'll be able to get what you need, but cuts will be streamlined, laces few, elastics practically non-existent. So you can see it's going to be more important than ever this winter to take care of what you do have, to make it last longer. Nightly luxing will help you do just that. Lux is thrifty care, too. Don't waste lux. Use all the lux you need to get rich suds, but no more than you need. A little lux goes a long way. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. We'll have a little chat with Mr. and Mrs. Miniver after the play. Now the curtain rises on the third act of Mrs. Miniver, starring Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, and Susan Peters, with Ensign Henry Wilcoxon. I knelt on the kitchen floor beside the German flyer, waiting for the police. After a while, he stirred and opened his eyes. I saw his hand reach out to feel for his gun. Revolver. Westman revolver. I took your gun. I called the police. Police? 
You call it. It's much better this way. Really, it is. You're hurt. You're sick. You'll be wonderfully looked after in the hospital. You'll be safe there. And the war won't last forever. No. Soon we finish it. I am finished. But others come. Like me. Thousands. Oh, many thousands. Better. All this you will see. You will see. They will come. They will bomb your cities. Like Barcelona, Warsaw, Narvik, Rotterdam. Rotterdam we destroy in two hours. And thousands are killed. Innocent people. Not innocent. They were against us. Women and children. 30,000 in two hours. We will do the same thing here. We have no vernichtet. Where is he? Where is he? Here, doctor. It's his arm, I think. Take him to the hospital. All right, young fella. Come along. Lift him up, Joe. Mrs. Miniver, are you all right? Yes, thank you, Doctor. I'm, I'm fine. Good. And a good job, too. Oh. Mommy. Oh. Who was that? Who was she, Mommy? No one, dear. It was, it was just... Just... Hey! What's that? Hey! Clem! It's Daddy, darling. It's Daddy. Run and tell Judy. Clem! Oh, Clem! some breakfast? Ten hours ago. Ten hours? But then ate it. Then? Home? Home. Both of you. Good. Where is he now? He went up to Belden Hall to break the news of the engagement. Oh, I don't envy him that trip. Serves him right, though, for eating my breakfast. Anything left? Miss Gladys is bringing it up. Oh, Ken, I'm so proud of you. Are you, darling? Well, that's nice. Come to think of it, I'm a bit proud of myself. What you might call a real bit of navigation. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. You know, darling, I'm almost sorry for you having mm-hmm. such a nice, quiet, peaceful time when things are really happening. But that's what men are for, isn't it? To go out and do things while you women folks look after the house. Yes, dear. Come in. I'm sorry, Mum, but I just remember we ain't got any ham. What? You gave it all to that German pilot. Oh, well, uh, well, never mind, Gladys. We've got some bacon in the house, and Mr. Miniver likes that just as well, thank you. All right. Uh, hey, what's all this about a German pilot? Oh, nothing, dear, nothing at all. What do you mean, nothing at all? Well, I just had a German pilot in for ham and eggs this morning, that's all. What? Say, what's going on around here? Now, Clem, here? don't get excited. I'm just going to draw your bath. I've had a bath and I'm not excited. Will you have a cigarette? No, I don't want a cigarette. Say, was it the fellow they were looking for? Yes. But, but what did you do? Didn't he have a gun? Yes, yes, he had a gun. Well? well I just took it away from him and called the police. <laughs> oh, you just took it away. Just like that. And then I suppose you gave him tea. No, milk. Woman, you're driving me crazy. Come in. What is it, Gladys? It's the old lady, Mum. Lady Belden. Lady Belden here? Well, well, all right, tell her. I'll be down in just a moment. Uh, yes, Mum. Lady Belden? She's probably come to object to the marriage. Oh, dear. You know, darling, if I hadn't known that you'd taken that German pilot single-handed, I'd say that you were scared. Would you? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, I am. <laughs> I should tell you frankly, I hope to persuade Carol to wait. You think she may change her mind, Lady Belden? Frankly, yes. Perhaps make a better match. There's always that possibility. Besides, she's too young. Oh, but isn't that rather a Belden tradition, to marry young? I don't know what you mean. My daughter, Judy, she had to write a composition on the Crusades last week. And she brought a book home from the library, oh, quite a small book, called A Friend of King Richard the Lionhearted. And it was the life of an ancestor of yours. Well, really, Mrs. Miniver, I failed to see Oh, it's what... a fascinating little book. I got quite interested in it myself. It was full of stories of the Belden family. Oh, I trust you satisfied yourself that we were worthy of the alliance. Well, there were one or two things that rather surprised me. For instance, did you know that the 12th Lord Belden was hanged? He was beheaded. Oh. oh. Such things happen in the best families. In fact... Usually in the best families. As a matter of fact, what interested me most was the extreme youth of the Belden brides. 
this Gilbert de Beldon who went on the Crusades married an Isabel de something or other, aged 12. Mrs. Miniver, I did not come here to chatter pedigrees. But your point is that they're both too young. I've said so, haven't I? We're at war, Lady Belden. And Vin's a flyer. That's no excuse for rushing into an ill-considered marriage. But in war, time is so precious to the young people. How old were you when you were married? I? Now, it's no use telling fibs. I looked you up. Well, if you looked me up, I suppose you know. I was 16. 16. And did your parents approve? That's beside the point. Oh, forgive me. Is it? You married very young and without your parents' consent. And yet when Carol... Oh, oh, but perhaps you regretted it. I did nothing of the kind. Well, then why... My marriage only lasted a few weeks. My husband was in the army. He was killed in action. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me, I didn't know. I never regretted it. Not for one moment. We married because we knew that might happen. But I don't want Carol to suffer as I suffered. Don't you want them to be happy? Even for a little while? The way you were? I was afraid you'd say that. Not that it matters what you say, or what I say either. You know that, don't you? You mean Carol will go her own way? She's my granddaughter. Well, then, why did you... Goodness knows. I was beaten before I started. You don't mind terribly, do you? He is a nice boy. Yes, I see now where he gets it. You're pretty, too. No wonder that wretched ballad named his Rose after you. Not that he's got a chance of getting the cup from me. Well, so long as we're going to be relatives, the least you could do is to offer me some tea. <laughs> they were married a few days later. Vin had leave, and they went to Scotland for their honeymoon. I was glad they were away those two weeks. We spend most of our time in the shelter. Mommy! Mommy! It's all right, darling. Keep your head under. Lights are out. That'll be nice. Mommy! Where's Napoleon? He's gone. No, he hasn't, dear. He's just under the cot. He's fine. Sam! Sam! All right. Yes, Mommy. Yes, dear. They, they nearly killed us this time, didn't they? Oh, it's all over, darling. It's all over now. Well, this is the room we fixed up for you and Vin. It's his old one, of course. Oh, it's lovely. We made a few changes. And the Jerry's made a few more. It must have been dreadful. Oh, not so bad. Uh, I'd better go and help Finn with the grip. Well, hurry, dear. Carol's coming to the flower show with me. Uh, I hope you'll manage all right here. Oh, it's a beautiful room. Thank you. And and thanks for Vin. He is nice, isn't he? I wonder if you know how much I love him. I only have to look at you and him. You're happy? Oh, I've had a lifetime of happiness in these last two weeks. Oh, but Carol, dear, it's only the beginning. Kate... I'm not afraid to face the truth. Are you? No. I love him. But I know that... Oh, Carol. I know that I may lose him. He's young and he loves life. But he may die. Oh, oh, let me say it. He may be killed. Any day. Any hour. You must have faced that in your mind. Yes. I faced it. Then you know that... That every moment is precious. We mustn't waste time in fear. Oh, Kate, you won't hate me for saying this, will you? No, Carol. I will be very happy. Every moment that I have him. Every moment. And if I must lose him, there'll be time enough for tears. There'll be a lifetime for tears. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I come to the final award, the Challenge Cup, given for the best rose grown in the village during the past year. The first prize, the Silver Cup, goes to uh, goes to Mr. James Ballard, our popular station master. There he is. Oh, Mr. Ballard, dear Mr. Ballard, I'm so happy. 
It's your rose, Mrs. Miniver. Carol, where are you? Here, Ben. I'm off to the airfield. Will you be all right? Oh, of course. I'll go on to the house with your mother. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Ben. so much to get home. I hate to stop, but perhaps it would be better. Hey, hey look. look. Look, that plane. It's on fire. He's going to crash. It could be Finn. It could be Finn. Oh, Carol. No, it's not possible. It hasn't been time. No. But how horrible. Keep on, Carol. Keep on. I was sure they hit the car. I really was frightened. Oh, Carol, the village. Look at it. Oh, how awful. We must get back there. They'll need help. Carol. Carol, what is it? Carol, are you hurt? I... I think I've been hit. Oh, no, darling. Where? I, I don't know. It... It doesn't hurt. It... I just can't move. Don't be frightened. We're nearly home. I'll get you there. I'll get help, so lie still, dear. Yes, Kay. Kay. I'm here, dear. I've called the ambulance, and they're coming as soon as they can. Just keep the coat over you, darling. They'll be here any moment. Kay. You won't tell Finn? Of course not, darling. But you're going to be all right. I know you are. Don't be frightened, sweetheart. Oh, I'm going to be all right. I don't feel any pain. What is it? Can I get you something? No. No, don't go away. Stay here. Stay just for a moment. I'm here, darling. Don't leave me alone. Please. <laughs> Carol? Vin is here, Kay. Vin? Oh, Vin, darling. It's all right, Mother. I know. Where is she? Vin, dear, won't, won't you try and get a little rest? Where is she? In your room. I... I'll go up to her. <laughs> Glenn. No, dear. in my arms. Darling. Finn's wife, Clem. She died in my arms. We went to church the next Sunday where the sun had slanted in the windows before. Now it shone full upon us. For one wall of the church had fallen and the roof was open to the sky. Across the aisle from us was Lady Belden, all alone. And then Vin went over and sat beside her. We in this quiet corner of England have suffered the loss of friends very dear to us. Some close to this church. George West, choir boy. James Ballard, station master and bell ringer. And the proud winner only an hour before his death of the Belden Cup for his beautiful Miniver Rose. And our hearts go out in sympathy to the two families who share the cruel loss of a young girl who was married at this altar only two weeks ago. The homes of many of us have been destroyed and the lives of young and old have been taken. There's scarcely a household that hasn't been struck to the heart. 
And why? Surely you must have asked yourself this question. Why in all conscience should these be the ones to suffer? Children, old people, a young girl at the height of her loveliness. Why these? Are these our soldiers? Are these our fighters? Why should they be sacrificed? I shall tell you why. <coughs> because this is not only a war of soldiers in uniform. It is a war of the people, of all the people. And it must be fought not only on the battlefield, but in the cities and in the villages, in the factories and on the farms, in the home and in the heart of every man, woman, and child who loves freedom. Well, we have buried our dead, but we shall not forget them. Instead, they will inspire us with an unbreakable determination to free ourselves and those who come after us from the tyranny and terror that threatens to strike us down. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all there is in us. And may God defend the right. back for their curtain calls in just a moment. Meantime, here's a story about a young bride I know who has been living with her husband in a trailer near his army camp. It was after their first meal together. Here, honey, get away from that sink. I'm going to be the dishwasher in this family. The army won't mind if my hands get red, but I don't want you to spoil yours with dishwashing, ever. <laughs> Silly, that's what you know about washing dishes. Nowadays, girls use luck so their hands don't get rough and red. You just grab that towel and we'll be through in no time. Yes, today's war brides are smart girls. They're meeting new people, going new places all the time. And they're not going to let ugly dishpan hands make them look like housekeeping slaves. They use gentle Lux Flakes for dishes because it's so kind to their hands. Actual tests prove that just changing from strong soaps to Lux does away with red, rough dishpan hands. And the same gentle Lux care is thrifty, too. Lux goes further than the same weight of other well-known dishwashing soaps. Does up to twice as many dishes as these other soaps. So, get a box of Lux Flakes at your grocer's tomorrow. Use it for dishes. See how long it lasts. How smooth it leaves your hands. Now, here's Mr. DeMille with our stars. There'll be no blackout in the theater as long as we have dramas like Mrs. Miniver and stars like Rhea Garson, Walter Pigeon, Susan Peters, and Henry Wilcoxon to play them. Now they're at the footlights again. Thank you, C.B. It seems very natural coming back to the Lux Radio Theater with Greer. Well, we hope to make it even more natural when your new picture, Madame Curie, comes out. You don't have an ounce or two of uh, radium left over, do you, Greer? <laughs> Let's see, that'll be worth about $700,000. <laughs> no, we didn't. But Greer does have a keepsake of the picture that I think she will always prize. She was presented with a ring. I hope a certain incident in the United States Navy approved of that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be all right, Sue. The ring was given to me not by one, not by two, but by 50 gentlemen. <laughs> in fact, the whole crew of grips, electricians, and prop men that worked on the picture. Well, that's practically another Academy Award, Griff. Well, it's one of the nicest things that ever happened to me. Well, we've been hearing some very nice things about both you and Walter from listeners in the United States and Canada who saw you put glamour in the war bond business. Walter is certainly working overtime as a salesman. He just came back from Seattle where he told the young ladies of that city about the advantages of joining the Coast Guard as spars. And uh, with the effect you might expect. No trouble selling the spars, but Henry Wilcoxon should be an authority. Why don't you step in here and pick up a few recruits, Henson? 
Well, everyone should know why we need women in the service by now, Wally. <laughs> <laughs> women between the ages of 20 and 36 are welcomed aboard by the Coast Guard at any time. The nearest Coast Guard recruiting station will give full information on requirements and opportunities, or women may write to the Coast Guard headquarters in Washington. Every spar who joins releases a man for other duties. All right. Like all the Coast Guard, I, I hear you've made a fine record at Sea Harry, on the Pacific Patrol, and in certain other places. I'll ask our announcer to give that address again later. Now about next week. We're going to have a real thriller. The Paramount screenplay, Five Graves to Cairo. And our stars will be Francho Tone and Ann Baxter. That's the drama of a young British soldier who stumbles into a secret German headquarters, meets a beautiful French girl, and learns the mysterious secret of the Five Graves from Marshal Rommel himself. So if you're in the mood for romance and suspense, Next Monday night, we'll have it here and send some. Sounds very exciting, Mr. Demille. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, Mr. Demille. Good night. night. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Frenchel Cone and Ann Baxter in Five Graves to Cairo. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you. From Hollywood. A special announcement for radio admirers of Mrs. Miniver. This famous character is to be heard starting next Friday, December 10th, in a series of half-hour programs to be broadcast at 11.30 Eastern Wartime every Friday thereafter. Make a mental note to follow the further adventures of Mrs. Miniver over this network. For information on joining the SPARS, consult your local Coast Guard recruiting station or write to Coast Guard Headquarters, Washington, D.C. Heard in tonight's play were Richard Davis as Vin, Raymond Lawrence as Mr. Ballard, Gloria Gordon as Lady Belden, and Tommy Cook, Mary Lou Harrington, Dwayne Thompson, Alec Harford, Charlie Lung, Dennis Green, Fred Mackay, Vernon Steele, and Fred Warlock. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. In cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service, this program is broadcast by International Shortwave Radio to our fighting forces overseas. This is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Francho Tone and Ann Baxter in Five Graves to Cairo. <laughs>